Hey, this is Hojo, and you're listening to me on Baseball and Barbecue with my two best friends, my new best friends, Jeff and Leonard. So y'all enjoy it, okay? Pitching rubber steps behind the rubber, tugs once at the bill of his cap, takes a deep breath, and steps to the third base side of the rubber. Santana into the windup. The payoff pitch on the way. Swung out and missed. Strike three. He's done it. Johan Santana has pitched a no-hitter in the 8,020th game in the history of the New York. They finally have a no-hitter, and who better to do it than Johan Santana? Woohoo! A no-hitter! Yes! Welcome to Baseball and Barbecue Celebrating the Mets No-Hitter. I am here with my wonderful co-host, Jeff Cohen, who will explain everything to you. I'm Len Aberman. Jeff, start us off right away. Thank you, Leonard Aberman, the fantastic Leonard Aberman. I will say we, uh, we've started out with that clip because we have on the show the catcher who caught that ball, the Mets' only no-hitter on June 1st, 2012, and that is Josh Tolley. Yes. And he was a great guest. Funny guy. Nice guy. Yeah, nice. Funny. You, you of course had a lot of experience with him as you met him during Mets fantasy camp. He was a rookie coach. You were a rookie player. Yep. That's all explained in there. And then Jeff, after, after Josh Tolley, we have on someone who I believe, I believe if he was a pitcher for a major league team, he would be able to pitch a no hitter. Really? Who's that? That is Matt Dolman. Uh, and and you're going to say what why because the man he, he's doing so much with barbecue he's so talented with his barbecue that i figure that would just translate to baseball okay <laughs> <laughs> but he was another great guest absolutely absolutely and i want to thank my my colleague julia berger for setting that one up we're so lucky that we have people who are willing to help us to secure guests for this show and like you just said your colleague who even knew, right? She just found out that you were, you know, had a barbecue podcast. And then the next thing you know, oh, Jeff, you know, I think you might like this guy, Matt Dolman. And if you want to 
contact the show, give us a call, 516-855-8214. Our email is baseballandbbq at gmail.com. Comment on our Facebook page at Baseball and BBQ. Tweet us at the Twitter at Baseball and BBQ. We have an Instagram, Baseball and Barbecue, where barbecue is all spelled out. And check out our website, www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. And as always, rate and review us. And Len, I want to uh, just say something. There's a friend of ours who has some recent eye surgery, and we're going to wish, wish him well. John Krause, who's a frequent listener to the show. And just helping him, he has a speedy recovery. So get well soon, John. Oh, yeah, definitely, John. Get well soon. And, and you know, it's funny that you that you mentioned, not funny, haha, I mean, of course. But I was also going to say, I wanted to just give a special thank you to someone. If If my mic sounds better, it's his doing. And if it sounds worse, it's his doing, too. But I just want to thank Greg Rempe because Greg Rempe of the Barbecue Central show came on with me, spent part of his part of his Sunday helping me with the microphone. So thank you. So we want John to feel better. And thank you to Greg. Now that you fixed your microphone, could you do something with your voice? (laughs) I always tell you, I have a voice made for silent films and a face made for radio. Thank you. So with that, do you want to get to Josh Tolley? Yes, Josh Tolley. We here at Baseball and BBQ have a special place for New York Mets catchers. So following in the footsteps of catchers who have appeared on the podcast, Mackie Sasser, Barry Lyons, Ed Hearn, and Todd Pratt, we are thrilled to have with us another catcher who has done something that no other Mets catcher has ever done. The date was June 1st, 2012, and Johan Santana threw a no-hitter. His battery mate that day is our guest, Josh Tolley. As a side note, Josh was born one day after the Mets won their last World Series in 1986. Welcome to Baseball and Barbecue, Josh Tolley. Welcome, Josh. Thanks for having me on, guys. First of all, it was a pleasure to meet you at at Mets Fantasy Camp. I I know you were a rookie there. So as as I, how was your experience there? Um, I can't wait for November to come around if that tells you anything. (laughs) Yes. One of my, one of my greatest, greatest experiences it, right up there with going, I mean, being in the playoffs with the Blue Jays, like sitting around, having some beers, telling old war stories with some of these older guys uh-huh. was, it, I mean, it was everything and more that everybody said it would be. Yeah, it was my first time, too. And it was yeah, I felt the same way. It was just so fantastic. I had a great time. Josh, did everybody kind of point to Jeff when he was playing and say, Wow, look at that guy. How come he never played major league ball? Right. Well, they were they they sent the scouts out to watch him. <laughs> Does ARP have a team? Exactly right. <laughs> hey, be careful. I'm getting close to that too now. I feel like it. <laughs> so Josh, uh, let's talk about your baseball career. You were drafted out of high school. Can you remember what it was like being on, on, on that draft day? Yeah, stressful. I thought I was going to get taken in the eighth round by the Marlins. The Marlins opted to pass. The Cardinals scout called me and said, we're going to take you in the 11th round. They didn't take me in the 11th round. They said, okay, we're going to take you soon. And then by then it was the 13th round, and I got a call from Quincy Boyd, who was the scouting, uh, who was my area scout. And uh, said they're going to take me with the next pick. And my parents had 
I mean, we had the garage fill with people. I mean, it was it was nerve wracking. I mean, just imagine if I didn't get drafted that day. Right. Right. Like what a freaking letdown that would have been having all these people there and having a good time. And I, I would go undrafted. That would be uh, it'd be a bit heartbreaking. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, especially when you're being told, you know, oh, it's the eighth round and now you have to go five round later. Wow. I can imagine we, that being stressful. We had the deal done with the Marlins going into the eighth round. And believe me, I was not asking for a lot of money. I was just trying to get drafted. I wanted to get into professional baseball. How many rounds is it? Didn't they, they, they reduce the number of rounds now, right? Yeah, it's significantly less. Back then, I want to say it was like 40 or 50. Yeah. Uh, now I, I, it might be like 20. I, I don't know. Something like yeah. it's, it's something it's significantly less. I know that much. Yeah. So you still would have been drafted. I'm just thinking of the guys that are in the later rounds. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. But that, that was the draft was split into two days, right? So like it was like the first 20 rounds and then the rest. Mm-hmm. So it was like we we're getting close to that where it was draft day and everybody's excited to like, oof, that could have been really bad. They, they would have been sleeping overnight in your garage for the second day. Right. <laughs> or, or I would have been curled up in a ball crying in my bed. Oh, exactly right. wow. Wow. So take us through your journey through the minors. You started out the Gulf Coast League Mets, and then you went to the Kingsport Mets. So what was it like going through? Uh, you spent, what, three or four years in the minors before getting to the majors? Yep. I spent, uh, it would say, four seasons. My first year going to, I mean, I was 18 years old. Got sent to Port St. Lucie to the Gulf Coast League to meet Gary Carter, who was my skipper. And as you can imagine, being intimidated, never did laundry, never wrote a check out of a checkbook. I didn't, I didn't know how to do all these things. My mom did them for me, right? right? Of course. Get down there, and those players were really, really good. Because I grew up in a small town in Illinois, right? So I was, I was the talk of the town, and then you get into pro ball and everybody's the talk of the town and there's guys throwing 95. So with that being said, a little bit of an adjustment, but with Gary being there and Scotty Hunter was my hitting coach, I, I feel as if I adapted fairly well. And then in 2006, I got sent to Kingsport, Tennessee. And that's when I started, got my real taste of failure, started struggling a little bit. Wasn't sure what it looked like for me. I wasn't playing a whole lot. Fast forward to 2007, I Tim Tuffle and Bob Nadel. Tim Tuffle was going to be the manager in Savannah. Bob Nadel was the catching coordinator for the Mets. And both of those guys went to bat for me, sent me to a full-season team in Savannah, Georgia. And our first baseman broke his hand the day we got to Savannah. And I ended up playing first base, and I started hitting. And the rest is kind of history after that. I got back into catching again that offseason. I went to Instructional League. I went to the Dominican Instructional League. I went to live with Bob Nadel for a couple months just to really get back into catching and hone my catching skills. Um, And then the following year in 08, I went to Port St. Lucie, Florida, where I was the backup catcher. And then the current catcher, who was a big prospect, got into a couple riffs. And I landed uh, being the everyday guy, was an all-star that year in the Florida state league. And then the following year, the next year went to double a and got called up in September. Nice. And how was that call up? But then sometimes the guys have some, some cool stories of how, how they're getting called up. Yeah. How how were you told? Well, there was, there was a little bit of speculation that it was my protection year and I was going to get called up, but nothing, nothing 
in stone, I guess. We were in Akron, Ohio. My parents were there. My girlfriend, who's my wife now, she was there. And I was in the lineup when I got to the ballpark. At batting practice, I got called to the back of the turtle. And the manager proceeds to tell me that I missed curfew. He's going to take me out of the lineup. (laughs) And I was like, Skip, my parents are here. We were having dinner. Like, okay, you're right. I did miss curfew. But, like, we also finished at 1045. And we went to go get a bite to eat. And sorry, I wasn't in bed by midnight. And Marco, Marco Oliveris was a skipper. And he never checked curfew. Not one time. I'm thinking, geez, now you're checking curfew, huh? All right. I said, all right, Skip, you got to do what you got to do. And he says, go in and pack your bags. You're going to the big leagues tomorrow. Ah, there you go. <laughs> well, that was my story. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't crazy, but that was uh, it was a good story. Yes, it is. <laughs> but now, now, Josh, just take us back for, for a moment, because I, I love hearing the backstories. You get drafted, you, you show up, you, you know, you go into, you go into the minors, of course, you're starting at the beginning, you're an 18-year-old kid. Does the team, how much do they do for you, or do they expect you to find your own lodging? And I mean, how much of it is, is you, and, and how much is them? Yeah, great question. When you're at 18, it's, they, they do everything for you. Okay. They put you in a hotel, like they don't need kids 19, 20 years old, trying to find their own apartments. And they want to strangle hold on players. They want to know what everybody's doing. When you're 18, they check curfew. And they check curfew frequently. Like, you just can't let 18-year-olds run around like a bunch of hooligans, right? Because that's what would happen. My first roommate was Bobby Parnell. Okay. If that, uh, yeah. Bobby. I suppose that's kind of a cool little stat there. Yeah. But he came out of college. So here I'm rooming with a 21-year-old kid, and I'm 18. And I am about as green as they get, right, growing up in southern Illinois. But the team feeds you. They There's no transportation, really. Like, they give you – like, you have access to the van, but you're on lockdown at the hotel. So you get called up to the Mets in 2009, but you basically become a full-time catcher in 2011 and 2012. Yep. And your manager was uh, – I think the first manager you had was Jerry Manuel, correct? Yeah, in 09, Jerry was a skipper. Uh-huh. And how was he as a manager? He was awesome. I'll, I'll give you a good Jerry Manuel story. Okay. When I flew into Denver, it felt like I was starting my whole career over again, right? Like scared to death, don't know what to do. I have family and friends in Denver that all flew in. It was September 1st. Jerry called me in, congratulated me. And he told me, he said, Josh, I want you to enjoy Friday and Saturday. Go out to the bullpen, catch the pitchers, watch the game, soak it all in. You're not going to play at all, but you're going to start on Sunday. So get your mind right for Sunday. So that's, that's what I did. I have a lot of respect for Jerry. Jerry was an, an amazing, amazing man. I'm sure Mets fans have their own take as who, how he was as a manager, but I, I would say nothing bad about Jerry. Jerry was awesome to me, treated me great, treated the players great. And um, yeah, it was, that was a good first. He made me feel made me feel at home when I first got there because it could be intimidating. That's great. So Josh, the, yeah, let's talk about that too. You know, as fans, we, we we're always, you know, if the man, if the team's not winning, we want the manager gone. Right. <laughs> and, you know, and we, as Met fans, we have seen numerous, any fans of any team, you, you see numerous managers, unless, unless you're a fan of the, you know, the Dodgers or, you know, one of those teams, basically every few years you're going to have a new manager and that's how it's been with the Mets. Does the manager get too much blame 
when when they when you lose and too much credit when you win. Yeah, I mean, I I think I always I I used to joke with John Gibbons, who was a skipper in Toronto. I'd say, Gibby, hell, we're all, you're only as good as your players. Like if your players are playing like crap, mm-hmm. you look like crap, right? At the end of the day, like managers can mess up the bullpen. They can make some in-game sketchy decisions, but a lot of it is gut, and you can second-guess it. If it works, it's great. If it doesn't work, he's terrible, right? So I, I do. I think the managers take a lot of heat, but that's part of the position too, right? That's why I always told Gibby, well, that's why you get paid the big bucks, right? Just to Because you can get – pretty much the blame is on you when it happens, but we all know in the room as players, like, yeah, you really – if the team is – not playing well, managers out, and it's not because the manager managed the game wrong. Right, it's you're right. It's definitely the, the players, and it make them look, look great, look make not so great. Yeah. I want to pull back the tur- curtain a little. Uh, tell Len that when we were down at Port St. Lucie from a fantasy camp, Terry Collins made an appearance there, and he was so glowing the way he talked about Josh Tolley. and it was so. I gotta say, you must really like playing for him. I love TC. Yeah. Hey, and you know what I loved about TC. I'll say this. Most managers say, hey, it's an open door policy. They'll say that day one of spring training. Open door policy. You need a bitch, complain, whatever. Open door policy. And then you go into their office and they're like, now they're bitching at you. Get out of here. But TC had a true open door policy. You had an issue. You went and spoke with TC and you talked about it. You hashed it out. You argued about it. Whatever you had to do. At the end of the day, TC had everybody's back. When they got to the World Series in 15, was that 15, right? Yeah, it was 15, yeah. yeah. There is nobody that deserved that more than Terry Collins. When you go back and look at Skipper's journey, like what he's done in, in mm-hmm. the industry, this dude deserved to be there. And he had the right talent. He had the right group of guys, but he knows how to rally the room. He knows how to keep the guys together because of that. Like, hey, it's okay just imagine this, guys, 162 games in 182 days. That's not even counting spring training. Right. You spend more time with those dudes than you do with your families. Yeah. And, like, TC just had a nag. You know there's going to be friction. You know you're going to be pissed off at the manager for not playing you one day or or not – yeah, that you didn't get a shot to play against this guy. You go talk to TC. Hey, what are you thinking? Skip, why are I not in the lineup? And he just shoots you straight. Baseball players want to just be told the truth. Don't yeah. bicker and lie behind their back. Just Don't sugarcoat it. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. You want to be treated like adults. And, yeah. you know, uh, absolutely. I, I can see that. Uh, he It turned out, he turned out to be, he, he was supposed to be a placeholder, basically, yeah. right? Yep. And nobody expected that he was going to take the team to the World Series. And he is also the longest the tenured Mets manager ever. Yeah, that's amazingly. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You know, we took up Bobby Valentine and David Johnson. You know, Terry Collins. I right. lasted them all. Jeff, I, I don't know when you want to get to this. Because okay, I, I know you want to get to it. There's one game that we want to get to there, Josh. <laughs> well, well, wait, let me just say, Josh, you know, we, we have to ask you about that one game. But we could be, you know, Jeff and I, we had Ron Swoboda on. And, and I, I love to sit, tell the story. You know, he's known, he's famous for the catch in the 1969 World Series. We had him on to talk about his book called The Catch. And, of course, the one thing we forgot to ask him about is the catch. 
you got to get that out of the way right out right out of the gate. Exactly. So so we got to make sure we get to this right now. Jeff, go. On June 1st, 2012, you were activated off the DL and immediately went into Mets history as the catcher who caught the first Mets no-hitter. Tell us about that game. That must have been an incredible experience. Yeah, I'll step back to the day before. Um, Wally Backman was a AAA skipper. I was in Buffalo on rehab. I didn't have a whole lot of at-bats because there were some issues with my concussion paperwork going through Major League Baseball and all of that. We got it resolved like in the second inning of the game. I got some ABs, went into Wally's office, said, I'm ready to go to the big leagues. Wally says, well, let me call Sandy. I don't think they're going to call you up. We got on the phone with Sandy. Sandy says, well, let me talk to TC about it, and we'll call you right back. Hang tight. They opted to call me up, and then I got down to City Field, and then the rest is history. So fast forward to the game. It was Johan. I mean, he was in the bullpen clowning around like with his – you have to understand who Johan is. Johan is a type of guy where – he makes fun of himself. I mean, we're talking about an elite performer here, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He, that, that's just who he is. But what was cool about it was he had this personality that was when things weren't going well, he would just laugh at himself. And I remember in the bullpen, him not having a great bullpen, wasn't feeling great. We walked through the doors. He says, well, I guess we'll see what happens. And, <laughs> and then we get into the game. And during the game, Johan, he's always like, He's not the starting pitcher that you see sit on the bench and like with his Gatorade bottle and like his towel and very stern and serious. He's he talks to the hitters and he intermingles. But in the seventh inning, he stopped doing that and he sat on the bench, which was uncharacteristic. And that was when I knew at that moment, I knew we had something special because his stuff as the game was going on progressively got better. We did know. I mean, I talked to Terry Collins and Dan Worthen over the course of the, as we got down the stretch of pitch counts, be careful. Like you just can't go 2-0, to guys. Like we got to, we got to be careful with the pitch count. So we were navigating that a little bit, but at the end of the day, Johan was always making his pitches throughout the course of the game. And I knew we would be safe. Once we got out there for the ninth inning, I, I was fairly confident. You know, you talk about pitch count and of course, I, I don't want to fast forward here, but uh, a lot of people, you know, you'll hear Johan Santana's career, this this shortened his career, the no-hitter, they left him in too long, he threw 134 pitches, yada, yada, yada. And I'm wondering if there was a number in anyone's head at that point that they would have taken him out of the game in, let's say, the eighth or ninth inning, or was he just... No matter if his arm yeah. fell off, he's pitching that in. Ride or die. I think they were prepared if he gave up a hit, they were going to hook him. After that, it was <laughs> – he might have been able to throw 150 pitches that game. Like, right. it was one of those games where the adrenaline was – the adrenaline was moving. He wasn't coming out of the game. And, like, I I, I, <laughs> Len, I, I, I do see your point, right? People always talk about, oh, it shortened his career. It shortened his career. But, like, guys, this guy pitched for a long time. Yeah, but, yeah, no, he did. And he I don't, and, and I'm, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not a, a pitch count guy. Yeah. I, I'm old school, you know, as a fan. And, and, and I just, I think now this pitch count, you know, they hit a hundred pitches, get them out of there. Out of the game. I, 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 you know, Jeff and I both are, we don't believe in that. 
but yeah. you you do hear that all the time about that. They got guys up in the bullpen at like 70 pitches. I'm like, the guy's not even like, he's not even broke a sweat yet. Let him at least like screw up. Right. right. Let him like right. drill a couple guys, give up a double, walk a guy. Like guy goes 2-0 on a hitter in the fourth inning and they're like, phones are ringing. Yeah. It's like, let the guy establish himself. Yeah. I mean, Len and I come from an age where, you know, Pitchers go 150, 200. I mean, Tom Seaver, Jerry Kuzman, you know, the old, old Mets, yeah. even in the 80s, you know, those guys too, Darling and, and Gooden, who we, we was at, at Mets Fantasy Camp. I mean, they they, they just threw. They knew. Yeah. They knew when they were and done. They, yeah. And they threw complete games yeah. at that time. And I know it's obviously it's different now. It, it's it's even different now than when you pitched. And, and that's not that long ago. Yeah. It changes so quickly. But so that I know the complete game. It, you you get guys that had more complete games than there are people going into the Hall of Fame that had wins at this yeah. point. It's, yeah. it's You're incredible. Right. Well, Len, you know, it almost happened again two weeks later when Josh was catching Ari Dickey. Dickey threw a one-hitter. Yeah. That single came in the fifth, fifth inning. It was a clean single, but it was a complete game strike, and Ari striking out 13. So, I'm not sure that it was a clean single, Jeff. Okay. It's up for debate. Uh-huh. All right. David Wright bobble at third base. Ah, and I okay. make sure I let him know every time I speak with him. <laughs> this was, that must have been another game. I know he pitched two one hitters, so I'm thinking about Back the other one. Mike okay. Nickius. Mike Nickius caught the first one. Right. Okay. And then, which might have been after the RA. I wonder if that was after Johan. It all happened very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, because we were in the trop. This was against Baltimore, I think. It was against okay. Baltimore, and you were okay. catching. I don't remember, but yeah, it was something. He already went, went on a nice run, uh, uh-huh. a couple, couple one hitters back to back. Yeah, I remember that. And so, how's it yeah. catching a knuckleball? I mean, you're going from Johan Santana, a great pitcher, to already Dickey, no, no slouch in himself with his knuckleball. I mean, he was yeah. a Cy Young Award winner. Yeah, I always say that's why I stopped hitting. I was so stressed out. My catching was like, <laughs> it was too much for me. No, I'm just kidding. Catching a knuckleball. Yeah, I mean, it was stressful, right? Like, you get a guy on third base, the, the, you're, the game's on the line, pitch by pitch by pitch, right? We block balls. We we block balls in spring training till we can't block anymore. Mm-hmm. So we're not worried about the ball being in the dirt. But when you don't have control of where the ball's going, that, that's hard. So sure. you could be running to the backstop five, six times a game, and it'd be a merry-go-round. And at the end of the day, it's like, it is your fault, but it's you feel like it's not. So the stress level of R.A. Dickey start days were uh, – it was stressful. It was a different focus for sure. But that 2012 season, he uh, won the Cy Young Award. He was, he was on a roll. I mean, what, 20 – I know he won 20 games. Yeah. That was – that year was special for R.A. I – again, I caught R.A. starting in 2010. I had him in 11 and then in 12. And – so I had a little history with him leading up to it, but I have never seen a ball move like it was moving and do exactly what he wanted to do, pitch after pitch after pitch. It's a, it's a bigger glove to catch a, to catch a, an R.A. Dickey, right? Yeah, you, that's right. So it's a pro spark model. It's like I, I make it equivalent to a softball catcher's mitt, if you will, like a fast pitch catcher's softball mitt. Mm-hmm. And you needed every inch of padding you could get, believe me. So now you're catching a no-hitter. You're catching Johan Santana's no-hitter. How much do you let him just go on his own, or 
are you involved with with the calling of the game? I mean, how much do you involve yourself in that? We, we were on the same page. We were on the same page. I, I was calling the game. He would shake me off a couple times, but for the most part, like I had a pretty good feel with Johan as far as what we wanted to do. He never shook a whole lot. He, we always had a plan going into the game, and we try to stick to it, make adjustments as we go in between innings. But for the most part, I, I always felt like we were on the same page. Yeah, and you know, I don't think it'll ever happen again—a uh, no hitter, a complete game no hitter in these days. So you know, you're going down in history as you know, the only man to, do, to catch it. So that's that's got to be something. So I'm gonna let, let you guys on in a little secret here. I don't tell everybody this. Ooh. So with the Grom, Syndergaard, now we're gonna now I gotta. I, I got Serger. Like when these dudes are, like get into the fifth, sixth inning, not giving up a hit, I always call my buddies. Hey, turn on the Mets game. There's a no hitter going on. Next pitch, double. Every yeah. time. <laughs> so he's the, so you're the jinx. They always you're say, the jinx. They say, hey, come on, man. Don't be an ass. You're jinxing us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's beautiful. So you ever get the ball to throw back and maybe uh, scuff it up a little bit or something? Get I used to Mike Pelfrey. Mike Pelfrey used to throw a turbo sinker. And every time a ball would be put in play and he would get a cut on a ball, he would, he would, he knew how to do it. And it, you guys remember Pelf, right? Like, oh, yeah, he, Big Pelf, he, yeah. He didn't have electric secondary stuff. But let me tell you, when he had a scuff on a ball, that sinker would go for a while. I never had, like, I know some guys used to sharpen their shit, uh, like the shin guards. To cut balls, sure. I never did that. I didn't have that talent, but I was always conscious of balls in the dirt. Like, try to never give the umpire like a cut ball. Throw it back to Pelf, see if he liked it, because he was good at it. He was good at throwing throwing a scuff ball. And people see now, people always they say, "Wow, they go through so many balls." It's like, yeah, but w- when guys know what they're doing with them, and kids today don't even know what to do with the ball. They were they'd rather throw it out, but when yeah. when you know what to do with it, it's like a wiffle ball. Now I see I see behind you of course this is audio and we're on Zoom but we this is audio for podcast people and you have uh Wayne Gretzky's uh jersey hanging yeah. up. So I am going to guess big hockey fan and you played for Toronto. I had a yeah, you don't have a choice but to be a hockey fan playing in Toronto. <laughs> like, so a cool story about Wayne Gretzky was he was at uh he was at one of our games and they announced him in like the second inning or something. Well, the great ones here. He's in his sweeties waving to everybody. So I, I wasn't playing that day. I ran in. I told the clubhouse guy. I said, hey, run down. Find me a Wayne Gretzky Edmonton Oilers jersey and run it up. Have him sign it. Would you do that for me, please? He said, nah, no problem. I'll do it. Well, he did it a few other times for some guys prior to that. Wayne, he signed mine and he told he told the clubhouse guy. He says, hey. No more autographs for those guys. That's enough. I, and once he came down with mine, it was a flood of guys. Oh, I want the great one to sign a jersey. I want. He said, no more autographs. So I got the last one from, the, uh, from when he did it. <laughs> All right. The thing about Toronto, did you know that trade was coming when, uh, when you went to Toronto? I had an idea. I didn't necessarily know it was Toronto. RA had called me about a week prior to that and said, hey, Toronto has interest but we're trying to work out an extension just a heads up. The deal doesn't, if the deal goes through, you're going in the deal period. That's just how it's going to look. I don't know. You, you try not to think about it that much. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a cliche, but it is the truth. 
You don't, you don't get caught up in the trade rumors and all that because if you start reading this stuff, you've got no shot. You'll be lost. Yeah, well, Toronto is a great city. I mean, I visited a couple of times. It's a, it's a great city to play in. I loved it. We had, yeah. a, great, we had a couple of great teams there. We, yeah. Like I said, Gibby was a skipper. We had a good manager. We, we had a good core group of guys. Went to the playoffs twice. Awesome experience. Yeah, it was a fu- fun city. So when, uh, when you played with the Mets, some of them had some fan favorites. Uh, so let me ask you about, did you know Justin Turner was going to turn into the, the all-star yeah. that he had become? You knew that was coming? I knew it. Uh-huh. You could see it. He just had, it's easy for me to say now that he's been a, what, a five, six-time right. all-star. Yeah. <laughs> but you could see it. And JT was one of my best friends. But he had he had a knack. You knew he was going to hit, and he played he played good defense. So, like, the hitting thing, I always say he was, him and Willie Harris, my time with the Mets, him and Willie Harris were probably two of the best pinch hitters I've ever seen. Like, JT would go five, six days, one play. They'd roll him out for a Sunday day game, and he'd go get three hits. Now, I, I say that I knew he was going to be an all-star. I can't say that, but I knew he was going to have a really long career. Yeah, well, and, and now he's the world champion with the Dodgers. Josh, what, what was your favorite part of catching? You know what I liked the most about catching was the – kind of like I, I I really embrace the leadership role more than anything. There's there's accountability and there's leadership in that position and you have to have both. That was something that has always stood out and something that I learned at a young age to give Bob Nato more credit. Like he taught me that. He taught me how to communicate with the umpire, how to communicate with the pitcher, how to communicate with the skipper and the pitching coach. And that kind of built the whole I, I say it built. It is who I am today, right? It is the communication, the networks, the leadership. So all of these things all kind of come under one umbrella, and that—that's what I love most about it: the interaction with everybody, pitchers, position players, other opposing hitters, umpires. That—that—that that, that was probably my favorite part of catching. Yeah, I would think that's probably why so. catchers. I mean, they always say that you know catchers make great managers. So, yep. any thoughts of? going that route no not right now i've been gone for too long i got three kids at home i got a wife has a business like it's just to be to be on the road again for eight months out of the year is tough yeah truly you know i've i like i kind of i like what i'm doing i i do some consulting work for some people for different different entities and i enjoy doing it i can work from home i make my own schedule and do some lessons, kind of try to pass on the knowledge to the younger generation. Now baseball led, I have to say baseball is different than it was much different. Like it's not the same where you sit around after a game and have a couple beers and tell stories. And that's how, that's how I learned. Right. And like, it's not that it's frowned upon. It just doesn't happen. Kids don't want it. any. Like they don't, they don't have it like that anymore. And that was only that was only a decade ago. That's what. Yeah, it's the truth. I, yeah. I I was just telling my wife this. Like I when I tell these stories, it makes it seem like I played in the fifties. But like the fact of the matter is that, that was ten years ago. In the in the game is shifting and evolving that much. But it goes back to to Len's question of like that is what catchers did. I mean, me and Mike Nickias sat hours in the Buffalo Bison's clubhouse in 2010, and we would play cards after games and have a couple beers and talk about the, like, talk about the game, talk about what happened. And 
at the end of the day, we had good teams there. Mm -hmm. And that's such part of the camaraderie that, that I miss that I do miss, but you're not, you don't get it anymore, whether you miss it or you don't, it's not, it's something that's not coming back. Right. Uh, I know we're going to, we're coming up on time. I just want to ask you a couple more uh, about some players that you played with and uh, get back to fantasy camp for a minute. So you played with some of the great players like Daniel Murphy, who became a, a real star. Jose Reyes was very electric. And of course, the Captain America, David Wright. How was your relationship with those guys? I had. I have to say there's, there's only about three guys in the entire industry that I could give a rat's about. Everybody else in the industry, I love. Like, it's a brotherhood. If I have a close relationship with them, you call them, they pick up the phone. That that that's how that's how the baseball community is. Um, David, in particular, I mean, he was somebody that I looked up to. Right, I was I was a young kid in the clubhouse, and you had a, you had something. There was an issue. You went to David, and David really helped me grow as a as a player, but also as kind of a, as a person and as a leader. And Murph, me and Murph came up together. I mean, we were roommates in '06 for just a hot minute in Kingsport. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I always had that relationship with him. But like I said, most of the guys, pretty much everybody in that clubhouse was just wonderful. Yeah. So before we let you go, uh, Mets fantasy camp again. I mean, how you were a rookie, I was a rookie, but you were there with Barry Lyons, Todd Pratt, Howard Johnson, Dwight Gooden, Steve Traxel, those guys. I mean, even the old guys, Ron Spoda and, and, and Duffy Dyer. How was it getting around these older Mets? And by the way, I found Eric Hillman to be hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah. Hilarious. I first must say, very, I, very sad what happened to Jeff Innes. I, yes. Yes. I, I knew, I knew I man just for that short two weeks that I was there. And man, to hear that, I, I got a call from a couple of the fantasy camp guys, told me what happened, spoke with Jay Horowitz. It's just devastating. Because he too goes in that category with Hilly, just awesome. Yeah, are down down to earth, hilarious people, and to lose somebody like that, especially that close in the family, is is tough. But on a different note, Hilly was awesome. The whole group was great. I had no like I was intimidated. My first day, I felt like I was a rookie, like a uh-huh. true rookie. But then once you start sitting around uh, Joe Boo and you get those guys going. <laughs> You get the guys going. We uh, we had a good time. I created some great friendships, some great bonds with all of those guys. And as I said, I I'll occasionally send Doug Dickey a text message and say, "Don't forget about me. <laughs> Whether you invite me or not, Doug, I'm coming regardless." There you go. You know, Jeff, uh, you we we had Josh on because I mean, baseball is. I did a little baseball, but Je- Josh is a podcaster like yeah. us. <laughs> all right, so. I mentioned this before we started taping to Josh, and I'm certainly not going to let it go. Josh has a great podcast. I did listen to it, enjoyed it. It's called Let's Go Ricky Rowe. Josh, tell us, plug it, and uh, when do you want us to come on? Because, you know, baseball and barbecue people, they need to hear us. Okay, done deal. So here's, um, here's how it got started. Ricky Romero, an old teammate of mine, had a podcast, and... It was he was kind of getting burnt out with it. It was just kind of the same song and dance for him. And him and I were texting one afternoon back and forth. And I made a comment to him about the podcast. And he's like, well, you want to do it with me? I was like, let's go every Tuesday at one o'clock, which was my time there in California. He says, all right, let's try and see what happens. 
We had uh, Troy Tulowinski on. We had a couple nice guests. We started picking up some steam. The downloads started happening. We just got fortunate enough. Blue Wire had just picked us up. So, but now we have a little structure to our podcast. We used to just sit and BS for like an hour and then move <laughs> along, right? But now they're like, okay, a little more structure to the podcast. Let's clean it up a little bit. But we, the, the, the main focus is we just talk baseball. And it's not, hey, what happened in the eighth inning of the Mets game? It's more like tell stories, just like you guys are doing, right? Hey, tell us right. what your journey was through the minor leagues. And you have any great bus stories that you can share that won't offend anybody? So that's kind of the – that's that's about – the gist of our podcast, but I will say this, one of my favorite pieces, our new pieces starting in 2022, they do this thing called totally time, which is a one minute rant on anything I want. It can be from baseball to how people drive to politics, whatever it is, I get one minute to just go off. Uh, Everybody tune into this. I got to hear this. Yeah. Well, this last week, this last week, um, daddy ball, I'm in the travel and I'm in the travel world right now with my son. Right. And I coach his team. So I am a dad and his daddy ball. But like I always I tell the guys, I do hold myself to a little bit of a standard. Like if my kid is playing like shit, he's sitting on the bench. That's period. Like where the other day where in daddy ball, their kid still bats first place shortstop, no matter how good or bad it's going. So there was some daddy ball issues going around and I've been talking to some other guys that have travel organizations and I went on an absolute tirade for 44 seconds about daddy ball. (laughs) Uh, So I am enjoying the first week was I went off on the overtime in the NFL. I hate the overtime rules in the NFL in the playoffs. Like I'm not a bills fan, but like you got to give the bills a shot to freaking at least go down and try to score right 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 but each team should get a possession come on yeah right that like that's not even i who made the rules i have no idea they didn't consult anybody clearly they didn't call us <laughs> yeah me neither so anyhow it's just a fun little podcast it's an hour uh 45 minutes to an hour we don't hold back as we were talking on a previous uh prior to this show was the tommy lasorda kurt bavacqua um yes slow up and I didn't realize the language was that vulgar in it. Uh-huh. So they played the clip and I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, boy, they are going to shut us down real fast. But so far, so good. And we're already at uh, Wednesday. So we're good. Oh, great, yeah. great. One as, last question. As I said, sorry, Jeff, I just, I, I got to say this. I, as I had said, we had Kurt Bavacqua on a couple of times. He talked about that story. And I love when Tommy says he couldn't hit the water if he fell out of a boat. <laughs> yeah, my favorite. Oh, I watch it every time I'm having a bad day. I turn that on and it always makes me laugh. Oh, yeah. Tommy can go on some uh, some really rants. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, one one last question before we let you go. Uh, have you ever looked at your baseball reference page? Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, no. Because you look. Yeah. Because you're in a Yankee hat. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. You're in a yeah. Yankee hat. A, yeah. yeah. I'm like, I, I said to Jeff, wait a minute. When did Josh play for the Yankees? <laughs> Yeah. You know, when I played for the Yankees, the COVID year. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. And that wasn't even like really playing. I felt like that was just like I practiced for like three months and then my Yankee career was over. Well, that's well, the picture they reference. have on your baseball back- back- well, Jeff, page. Jeff, you can't like send an email to get that changed. I'm you? going to have to do something about All right. this. I knew you could Jeff do is it. very powerful. <laughs> Jeff has the power. Gosh, we can't thank you enough. We, we really enjoyed our time with you. I mean, so you're, you're tell us what you're doing now. And I know you said you're doing some consulting work, but I believe you said you were also trying to get a, a facility up and going. 
Yeah, well, yeah, we're trying to do a facility. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of all over. I want to link it into player development more than anything for these young kids. I do believe that there's good technology out there in the world that can help these kids and getting them in one space. The problem in, in, in our community in particular is everybody, everybody is doing this, right? Little Johnny didn't make the team, so dad's going to go start his own travel ball team, and they're going to go rent batting cages or put a batting cage in his basement. Like, we need to get away from that, I think, as a whole in society, like in this space in particular. And that's – I'm in kind of talks of trying to create something like that. Oh, we wish you all the best of luck with that. Again, thank you so much for staying with us. Thank Josh, you. Guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I want to thank Josh Tolley for joining us on Baseball and BBQ. He was a, a great guest. And you can check him out on his. He has a podcast called uh, Ricky Rowe. Uh, yeah, Rick. While you're looking that up, you'll tell that in a second. It's funny because that no hitter, if you remember the first time we had Doug Shiding on, he asked you, I don't know if we were recording at the time. He found out we were huge Mets fans. He said, guys, you're not going to believe where I was. I was at the that he was at the Mets no hitter and he had a newspaper from that, the no hitter and he mailed it to you. Yes, he did. Yeah. And you have that in your, uh, in your treasured possession. So okay. my memorabilia though. Thank you, Doug. Yes. And that, that podcast is called let's go Ricky Rowe. And Josh Tolley is on that one. I think it comes out every Tuesday. So take a listen to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. The, he actually mentioned, he mentioned his appearance on one of their last, uh, a couple of their, I don't know how often they record, but I heard uh, maybe last week yeah. he mentioned that he was on the show. So I think you'll enjoy listening to his podcast, but after you listen to ours. Of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff, who now, who, who do we have next? We have the one and only Matt Dahlman, who is bold enough to open up a Kansas City style restaurant in. Dallas, Texas. Wow. Yes, as man. one of our guests, as one of our guests just told us, you got to have cajones to, <laughs> to do that. <laughs> and here's Matt Dalman. Matt Dalman grew up in Kansas City with a deep love and appreciation of barbecue. In 2001, Matt graduated from the University of Kansas, married a Texas girl, and moved to Dallas. His appreciation of both KC and Texas style barbecue has only grown. While doing youth ministry, Matt found a smoker, cleaned it, and taught himself how to cook barbecue for hungry high school and junior high kids. Matt was doing barbecue catering in private events for 16 years, but really began to develop his craft through the barbecue competition circus, circuit and competing in events like the American Royale. In 2015, Matt opened 18th and Vine Barbecue in the Dallas-Worth Worth area, which he sold to his chef partner in 2018. Live Coals Barbecue was launched in the summer of 2018 as Matt desired to return to his catering roots and crafting barbecue for special events and holiday feasts. Matt is here to speak with us thanks to my colleague, Julia Berger, who happens to be a dear friend of Matt. Welcome to Baseball and Barbecue, Matt Dalman. Man, it's, it's good to be here. You guys had me hooked at Baseball Barbecue. My heart, pitter patter, it was just, oh, it was great. I was excited to jump in. Wow. That, that's did you say, Jeff, did you say uh, barbecue circus or circuit? <laughs> I said circus and then I correct myself, which I know. will be done in the editing process at the end of the show. It's, oh, I it's don't think so. It is a circus, no, it's, right? it's a circus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No <laughs> doubt. No doubt. 
Matt, yes, I gotta hey. ask you. For, first question, I gotta ask you. So you're a boy from Kansas City. Mm-hmm. You met a girl from Texas. Yep. So you got a mixed marriage going there, huh? <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's we had our first fight over um, barbecue sauce. So uh, you know that was that was true early on in our marriage, and we have both learned to grow and appreciate each other's home style so much. You know, I've I've lived in Texas almost twenty years now, so. I'm about to turn the corner on how long I've lived in Texas. And so, man, there's a lot to love on both sides. It's pretty fun. And you opened up a restaurant called 18th and Vine in Dallas, Fort Worth area. And that's really a throwback. It, it's a tribute to the Kansas City area at 18th and Vine. Yeah, it is. It is. It um, combines, I mean, I guess it combines two of the two of my loves, barbecue, baseball and then jazz music and it was uh, intended to honor and uh, honor the roots of 18th and Vine a, a neighborhood in Kansas City that married barbecue and jazz together and barbecue as well so that was that was where 18th and Vine was born and I was just attempting to pay pay tribute to it with um, some Kansas City style barbecue we also had live music in it so it just kind of all made sense right um, we had live jazz we had uh, jazz brunch, all that fun stuff. So that's that's where 18 the Vine came together. Nice. Now he also mentions a love of baseball. So Matt, without even realizing it, is you know, Jeff, I like to say the perfect guest. Yes. Like the perfect storm. So <laughs> Matt, you're wearing a KC hat, the Kansas City Royals. All right. So who who's your favorite player? Well, okay, so that's it's just got to be George Brett. I mean, he's the godfather of Kansas City baseball. Every kid wanted to be number five growing up and only the coach's son got to be number five. So that's hands down my favorite player. And uh, yeah, I mean, so deep. So, but also the, you know, the Mets and the Royal story interweave, there's a lot of stuff together there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Actually, I I went to a Mets fantasy camp this past year and I wore number 49 in in honor of Ed Hearn, who was a Kansas City catcher. And uh, he couldn't make it this year due to medical issues, but I wore number 49 in his honor. So there's a Casey connection there, too. That was nice. That's awesome. And and, and in 2015, Jeff, who, who beat the Mets in the World Series? I, you know, it, it, it does. I don't remember that. <laughs> you know, it was, a, it was a heck of a time to open up a, a, a restaurant. I mean, there's so many emotions and energies and, and stress, stuff, stuff coming at you at all angles. And then to have your favorite team back in the World Series, you know, this was their this was their second after the heartbreak of 2014. Yeah. And and then you're trying to keep an eye on the ball and, and cook barbecue to the best of your ability. And you've got this, you've got your childhood, you got your dream up here. You want the you want to win the World Series. And then everybody's coming in and and joining in and and watching the games with you and stuff. It was a crazy energy. It was so much fun. Well, you you of course, you know, you mentioned they they were back to the World Series, right? Mm-hmm. So the Mets were in the World Series in 2015. Yep. They didn't go back. <laughs> yeah, I know. And that's where it's like you, you just have to appreciate when you get there and it's not ever, you know, there's no birthright here. It's not the, and we're not the oh, Yankees. Yeah. We're not the Yankees. Not the, <laughs> right. Like, no, just that way. So you got to enjoy the ride, man. It was, it was a heck of a ride. I don't know why when, when I hear the, the Kansas City Royals, well, Dan Kisenberry. Oh, Yeah. Definitely just pops up as, as, as somebody who I remember watching, you know, there's not a, uh, I can't throw a baseball like that. I can throw a wiffle ball, 
a submarine, you know, with, with some crazy action on it, but no one can throw a baseball like that, that submarine style. It was beautiful. What's with the, what's with the pine tar with George Brett? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think he has a little bit of a fuse and it just happened to be the perfect storm and it happened to be against the Yankees too. So, uh, all the all of those things and legendary. Well, so. I give I give George Brett a lot of credit because now he he plays that part up really well. Now he 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 knows oh, yeah. all about it. he he just plays it up anytime he can. So yeah, 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 exactly. exactly. So Matt, Matt, tell me, you've been to the American Royale? Are you a regular participant there every year now? Or you go back every year? <clears throat> you know, I haven't done competitions since opening the restaurant. That was a, something that um, I really enjoyed doing. It was. For me, barbecue, the, my favorite parts about it is connecting with people. And I'm actually working my master's in counseling. I'm about, about finished up at SMU, oh, wow. completing my third year in the SMU counseling program as a, a licensed professional counselor. Um, oh, nice. Anyway, all that's to say, connecting with people is my favorite part. And so doing those competitions, I could get real intense, but really the fun part for me was to see family and friends and to go visit folks and the restaurant served as that extension for me. So, I mean, competitions are competitions. I think what would be best for me um, jumping back in the competition world is my kids, my kids, especially my middle son um, Jones loves cooking. Um, and we go down to um, the state fair of Texas and do cooking demonstrations down there. And that's the highlight um, of my, one of the highlights of my year. So, nice. so I don't know if we'll jump back in the competition circle, but any chance I get to cook with people and my kids, it's just the best. Sure. Well, like Jeff said, and 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 I read in your bio, is you were doing you were doing ministry work before at ministry. I saw and accounting. Yeah, yeah. And Jeff. <laughs> Jeff's an accountant, so yeah. and, you know, I like I like to work out a lot of different muscles. So uh, <laughs> they're, they're all different. You know, I've, I've even I've even acquired what I think what I call is brisket elbow, just from you know <laughs> the repetition of lifting. 15 to 20 pound briskets over and over again. So maybe, you know, you mentioned a, a friend who was working on some sort of medical helping device. Maybe I can work on some sort of wristband for my brisket, although it's, it's barking. So. <laughs> <laughs> so Matt, in 2015, you mm-hmm. opened 18th and Vine. Yep. And tell us about how, how that came to be and what sets it apart from other Texas barbecue restaurants. Yeah, so 18th and Vine for one was in was um we were sit down. We were sit down style barbecue. The the lines I I love waiting in line for barbecue. I do. But the the, the neighborhood we were in was primarily business customers and and um there was apartments around us and stuff like that. But waiting in line wasn't going to fly in our little neighborhood. So we 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 cleaned it up. We dressed it up a little bit and had table service and again we had a, an upstairs bar with live music and jazz and 18 the Vine uh, kind of became, a, it was it was going to be a different style anyway. Um, it was going to be Kansas City style barbecue. And then we did uh, table service with wonderful beer pairings and wine pairings and, and cocktails and stuff like that. But, you know, I think the, I think the, the progression of Kansas City style barbecue and Texas, Texas barbecue, when I first moved to Texas, the options were pretty limited, but to see what has come out of the, the particularly the Texas barbecue model. I'm not just saying Kansas City, I'm saying recognizing Kansas City style, but just the incredible growth in the, in the craft of barbecue and so many people doing such a great job. I have so many good friends that are, and I just appreciate so much all of their efforts. And I'd, I'd love to 
connect you with them all. So anyway, there's I just fun to see because because 20 years ago, I mean, I have a story from from my wedding day of I bought, I mean, I got married when I was 22. I bought my groomsman a slab of ribs. That was my that was my gift. That's all I could afford. And I had them brought down from Kansas City. And I was a couple slabs short. So um, I ran over to a, a place to be un, not, not to be named. And 11 o'clock in the morning, they didn't have a, they didn't have three more slabs ready for me. So they pulled them out of the freezer and threw them on the grill and sauced them up and a little piece of me died. And so <laughs> I knew that I had, <laughs> I knew that I had to, uh, had to do something. And, and uh, again, not just me, but so many folks in, in Dallas and Texas doing great barbecue. So. Absolutely. I mean, I'm looking at your website right now, 18th and Vine, bbq.com, one eighth, I should say. Um, yeah. And it looks up. It looks absolutely great. I mean, the dishes look great. The, the, the area, the, the restaurant inside looks great. Well, it just, I, yeah. I encourage everybody to take a look at this. And when you're in Dallas area, you know, absolutely go, go there. Thanks. Fun spot. So, and it's much different having the, the, having a restaurant where people coming in and sitting down and you need to, have food ready for them as right. opposed to one of these barbecue places where people stand in line, they start early in the morning, they stand in line. Yep. And when you're sold out, you're sold out and that's it. Yep. So yep. it's, it's a, it's a totally different animal. Yeah. And it's, it's an animal, a different animal because I mean, admittedly as a, as a restaurant owner at the time and, and, and running the, running the pits at the same time, I mean, we had people coming in for reservations on a Friday night and if you didn't have burn-ins or you didn't have um, slabs for their family, I mean, it got it got interesting. So you had to really work through a model of of how to have high quality barbecue, the best you could possibly put on their plate at all times, and that was a pretty big challenge. So, so this is a Kansas City style barbecue in Texas. Yeah. How did people react to that? Was that that? Did you take a chance with that, or what? What? What did you think? They rioted. Process? They rioted. They had <laughs> there. There were some things I told my mom not to look at on the internet, but um, <laughs> but okay. Will you just full disclosure help me with this? Stephen Reichland came in. He came in maybe a couple weeks into the op- opening up the shop. Am I saying um, chutzpah? Chut- tell chutzpah. me. Oh, chutzpah. Chutzpah. Thank, thank you. Thank you. I'm just full disclosure. Thank you. That's all we could thank do. Thank you. He he said that I. I mean, in this article about us, he said that I. I had an incredible amount of that. So, um, <laughs> I, I still hold on. I still hold on to that. So <laughs> former pod, former, a baseball and barbecue show podcast guest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, you know, do you all know Daniel Vaughn? Do you all know Daniel Vaughn, the editor of Texas, mm-hmm. Mon- Texas monthly right. and the barbecue. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he, he's done so much for our craft in terms of really challenging people and getting people to raise their standards. I mean, his review was, you know, his one view is one of the most intense experiences of my life. Just understanding that, you know, he's going to come in, the barbecue snob is going to come in at any time to review your place and you better be ready. And he came for us opening night. And then he came the day after the Royals won the world series. So I, there's no days off. I had, I was there both times and, you know, he had to be, you had to be ready. <laughs> I could drink some champagne after they won, but I was just still going to attend the smokers the next day. So right. um, anyway. Wow. Yeah. Now, now Matt, your, your oldest son, you have an adopted son from Ethiopia. Yes. And I read that you, you make uh, smoked lamb ribs, Yeah. which I've never had. I'd, I'd love to try that. And 
you put a, a rub on it, a spice mix called Barberi. Berber, Berber, you got Barbera. it. Barber, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's an yeah. Ethiopian spice. I got to do that for an event called um, Barbecue Pitmasters, which kind of pulls folks from all over and um, for as a benefit for Cafe Momentum. And if you'd like to know more about that, I'd love to tell you all about it. But but I got to do, yeah, some lamb ribs and I got to kind of, you know, connect. My, my son is amazing and he he doesn't care for a traditional Ethiopian fare. Maybe one day we'll connect with that. But I got to cook uh, lamb ribs. It's a, a dorper lamb rib. It's a heritage rib. It's a little less gamey, but the Berber spice is amazing. And you can, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty potent. So you really have to only just kind of kiss it with smoke, but I, I love cooking those. I'll do them for, I mean, Easter, especially is, is a lot of everybody loves lamb around that time. You do different things uh, in the yeah. restaurant, which is, which is great. Uh, I saw something else that you do a, a breakfast, right? You have like a barbecue yeah. breakfast. Yeah. I mean, we, when, you know, whenever, as long as the smokers are going, we we were able to uh, you know do brunches and breakfasts and all that stuff. So uh, you want to use the name of the game of barbecue is no waste. So you use every every part of uh, everything, uh, a chopped beef sandwich or a or a breakfast burrito. So let's get into it. You mentioned Cafe Momentum. So why don't you tell us a little about that? Yeah. So Cafe Momentum is a, an amazing organization. It's actually, it has a national presence now, just even just recently. Chad Hauser um, is an amazing chef who has worked with kids who have may have a record. They may have um, high-speed high school kids. And I, I may speak out of place here a little bit, but they've, they need someone to come alongside them and, and help them and guide them and, and mentor them. And, and culinary arts is an amazing opportunity for them. I know the Cafe Momentum um, recently partnered with the NFL, and I believe they're just off the top of my head. I believe they're expanding even to Nashville and a couple of great opportunities. But the event itself um, brought pitmasters in from all over the country, and we cooked for this uh, large event on Sunday. But we also all got to be at a table together um, Saturday night, which is kind of rare in the in the barbecue world, where you can all sit down with um, your colleagues and your and your and your families as well. And Cafe Momentum serves serves you. And uh, it was just a wonderful experience to meet folks uh, from New York, from from Memphis, to all over the place. So, anyway, I love that place. Nice, nice. Now, Matt. Well, one, I was thinking about it when Jeff was reading his intro, and then you you just happened to be wandering along, and there was a smoker on the side of the road. And <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I I I, I would love to. Jeff, I, I've never come up. You know, actually, that's not true. You know what we have sometimes on the side of the road when somebody has a like a gas grill that's uh-huh. been there's just no hope for it. And it's sitting there. And uh, but yeah, you actually rescue smokers, don't you? <laughs> I, I've seen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my first smoker was a little red bullet smoker that probably, the, you know, the cheapest piece of equipment you could probably play with. But yeah, I pulled it out of, I don't know if you, probably not in New York, but there's no, there's big trash pickup down here. So you could find some, you can curate some pretty interesting, you know, little artifacts if you're, if you've got an eye for it. So I, again, newly married, went in Texas 20 years ago and I was complaining, it's on me, I was complaining about barbecue and um, my wonderful wife was like, you know what, stop talking about it and figure it out. So that's that's what she did. And, and so I took that little smoker, took a class at an amazing place called Central Market here 
in town from the uh, former um, Dallas Morning News uh, food critic, Dottie Griffith. And then I started back then it was just like barbecue forums and you could pick, you could search a few things and hope you find somebody knows what they're talking about, but yeah. And then kind of curating what you like. And also I had, <laughs> I had junior high and high school kids. So if I burned up a brisket, they really didn't care as long as they, you know, as long as they, as long as they were fed. So was, <laughs> right. So, so I, I was doing a little of my uh, trolling and uh, you have a, on Twitter, it's at, at live at the live calls right at yeah the yeah. live calls yeah and i see you rescued something called the peggy sue oh man this so is why don't you tell us about a, that oh my goodness can okay, we sing okay. can we peggy sue no. peggy sue <laughs> pretty little bug <laughs> keep going let's go I'm, I'm with it if nobody sings with me i stop i know i know i know so peggy sue's was a, a, a just a a staple in in Dallas um, in the neighborhood uh, called Highland Park, real close to SMU, uh, not far from us. And the restaurant itself, I want to say it was open. It used to be uh, Peggy's. It used to be the, oh man, I'm going to butcher the, all the names. Anyway, it's, uh, it was just a, it was your stamp. It was your go-to. And it had so many memories for, from the community. Um, and they had one of the first Euler models, Euler um, JNR pits, which um, JNR manufacturing makes the Euler smoker, um, they're located here in Mesquite. You'll find them. You would find them all over New York. You would find them all over Europe. I mean, California, Texas. There's a million of them. There's there. There's so many, and it's such a great, high quality product. And I have a friends at a at a bank who are just Benchmark Bank who love barbecue, and they are, are really passionate about it. And they fund me on a various uh, culinary projects. But they this building was about to be torn down. Um, you know, you know how things turnover and Peggy Sue's um, had gone out of business and the smoker was sitting there and it was again, the smoker that's 40, 45 years old. So a lot of stories and a lot of people together around, around that bar, around that pit, not to mention it was one of the first models. So we were able to rescue it, got it for free basically. And uh, as long as we could get it on a trailer and I took it out to a shop uh, at M&M um, pit company who ha- happens to uh, refurbish these bad boys and uh, it, it's not much to look at now, but it's going to be beautiful. And uh, Benchmark has been a big part of that. And it's just kind of, I think it's a fun story. I think it's a fun story. Mm-hmm. And uh, my friend Corby Farrell has been a big part of that. And it happened to be one of the, it happened to be Daniel Vaughn's first review. So of all of all restaurants. And so he's you know, <laughs> he's a Cleveland guy. And so he's learned he's <laughs> he's he's grown in his appreciation of barbecue. And you can read it. You know, you can see the the story arc of all of his reviews. So nice, nice. Is it going to go? Are you going to be using this the Peggy Sue in, a, yeah. in your restaurant or uh, another project? I think it's going to be all for for events and and for uh, out in the community. Um, again, uh, Benchmark has a lot of a lot of fun folks. We'll find charities to cook for. We'll find special events. Mm-hmm. You know, um, things like that that we can use this and and uh, it's it's a beast. So um, we can we can throw a big ball party or or big charity event. So excellent, yeah, Matt. There was something that concerned me on your uh, on your website, which, by the way, everyone, I wasn't expecting to 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 find such a great website. But your your website, and of course, now I'm looking. I wrote down is it's thelivecoals.com. Right? It is, That's, yes. The live calls. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Go on that site and you will spend a, a good amount of time. There's recipes on there Thanks. all about Matt. It's just, it's a really great site. Thanks. But you, Thank you. you, you're welcome. You said on it, 
variety of Americans. No, variety? Did you say, ver- yeah, I get, oh, no, you said majority. I'm sorry. Ma- the majority of Americans, right? Okay, Old yes. Applebee's and <laughs> oh, <no>. Chili's <laughs> as the gold standard of ribs. Okay. I mean, I don't know how many rib songs you could think of top of your head, but, um, <laughs> you know, like that's kind of the broader cultural understanding. But I think, I think there's a lot of been, been a lot of work done to help, help people grow in their uh, appreciation of different uh, well-smoked ribs. Yes. Yeah. I hope so. Because I mean, Applebee's and Chili's, I'm not going to say that their ribs are, well, you know, one day we, we'd like, we wouldn't mind them advertising on here, but yeah, you know, I I never think of of (laughs) no shot of that now, Len. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's interesting though, that, that, Applebee's and Chili's are the, you know, considered the benchmark of ribs, I guess. I mean, on a, on a broader Americana viewpoint, <laughs> but I think there's, I think there's progress being made in, in different regionals, regions, you know, it's not right. like, um, and then you see people doing some great craft barbecue. So. Yeah. And you click on that link and it brings you to another page where, I mean, it, it, it you go down and, and explain, you know, not just the recipe, but why and, and, the, and the how, and it's just, I mean, definitely check this out. I mean, it just, with mustard slather and smoke on and wrap on. Yeah. yeah, wait. Talk about mustard slather. That was going to be my next one. Okay, so mustard. Tell well, us about not that. only is it just a fun word to say, right? Mustard, <laughs> mustard slather. Um, I use it to coat my ribs. Um, my ribs. My ribs do have a little bit of sugar content in there, a little bit of brown sugar, and so it, it really does um, adhere to the ribs and kind of as, as a protective coating to build the bark without charm. So uh, mustard slather is yellow mustard and if whatever beverage you might just happen to have around while you're cooking, which generally speaking could be beer or applesauce or whatever, you know, whatever you're cooking with late night. So, and uh, yellow, just a yellow mustard, French's yellow mustard, little hot sauce, little salt, pepper. So mustard slathers, just fun. Yeah, that sounded fun. <laughs> and and you, you also, you put uh, on that website, you have uh, music that you like to listen to yeah. when cooking and yeah. I mean, that's for me again, it's uh barbecues is connection, um, connection mm-hmm. to things that you, you may enjoy. And, and uh, yeah, that's just something I love. So. And, and then the other thing is, and Matt, you, you definitely have a good sense of humor because on there, you'll always find barbecue sauce in our fridge. Okay. Yeah. If, if you had ended there, I would have said that makes sense. <laughs> Small containers in my son's backpack. All right. <laughs> As long, yeah. And oftentimes in my wife's purse. <laughs> I stand by that and it's 100% true. So it's, <laughs> so it, it made know, me it, laugh. I, I'm sure my kids' teachers have had backpack, have the barbecue bottles or things explode and they've had to clean stuff up, but uh, that's what my, my kids are, are known for. So, wow. That's no, that's pretty funny. And then on, uh, like Jeff and I, we we both uh, I, I call it stalking. Jeff calls it trolling. Hey man, you're, uh, you're, you're I, gathering content. You got to exactly you know. the real pitmasters of Dallas. You're you're in a picture with some mm. pitmasters, and you are wearing <laughs> the Casey Royal hat. So I knew that right I am, there. I am, and that was a fun. That was a fun shoot. That was for um, D Magazine. Uh, you know, one of the local Dallas spots, and it was bringing together some kind of old and new pit pit bosses that was down at pecan lodge a great spot down in deep ellum and the picture itself i'm sure they could have done this with photoshop or whatever but they basically put us in justin's pit room 
in the mid in August and with the smokers blasting. And if you can imagine, I, you, Texas in August is bad, right? But then you got smoke <laughs> smoke staying in the smokehouse. There's no ventilation, and you're <laughs> so they're trying to make us look mean. I guess I don't know, but um, you know your eyes are on fire and. <laughs> So anyway, that's what that picture is. So it's, I, I laugh about it. I think it's funny. And you're also in the catering business. Yeah. Live Coles Barbecue. You started that in the summer of 2018. Take us behind the scenes of how one now also does a catering business. Yeah. So for me, catering, one of my favorite things to do, because one, I get to cook for special events. I get to cook for the amount, the quantity for that event. So again, going back to the to the no waste model of barbecue, which is prima big big importance, especially with the price of brisket right now, and then and just to be able to curate it, to be able to curate whether it's a, I mean I don't know company Christmas parties, which we did a, a bunch, or or Thanksgivings or wedding parties, stuff like that, little things where you can connect with the person in charge and just know that they, and you've got them taken care of and they don't have to worry about you and you're going to serve the best barbecue and your, your people are going to be on point and you're going to be on. I, I love catering. Um, I really like, I really like teaching, honestly. And we've been doing some, um, I had a chance to do a uh, cooking class for my, my friends at um, St. Jude Oak Cliff, my church group, uh, two, two weeks ago. And I, and it had been the, the first class that I had taught in person since the pandemic. And I, Almost in in the middle of session, in the middle of class, I was like, "Man, I haven't done this. I haven't done this for a year and a half, and it, this is so much fun for me." So those are the things that, that I love, and and catering and and doing cooking classes and stuff like that is uh, a great way to connect with folks around barbecue, around the smoker. Absolutely, and I got to tell you, Len, Matt tweeted us a little while ago, and he, uh, I want to let him tell the story of the Game Five Rally Ribs in the Roost. So please. You guys want that story? Oh, you yes. Sure? Absolutely. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, I appreciate you being vulnerable, but, you know, that was obviously <laughs> game five of the World Series. And uh, again, all the emotions of a, opening a new restaurant and and all the energies and the exhaustion of that series. It was a, that series had, I don't know, how many games? Two, three games that went to extra innings? Probably. Yeah. Uh, in 2015? Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So all of those. And then as a new restaurant owner, I was entertaining folks who were watching the game and staying up and then throwing the briskets on. So the rally ribs, it was game five. I was dead exhausted and we had a big crowd of Royals fans at the restaurant. I knew that if the Royals had a chance to win that series, I wanted to be at home with my wife and I wanted to be with my brother. And I loved all the guests that we had there, but I just wanted to be in that place. Right. So we had a packed, uh, this room, the roost was upstairs, is an upstairs bar and holds about 40 people. And so it was full of Royals fans. And that's a big crew for Dallas. And I sent up, I don't know, six, eight slabs on the house, just threw them out there, fed, fed the crew. Cause at that point it was tied in the ninth. Um, this uh, was five. This was a game where Matt Harvey went out in the ninth inning and, and the place exploded and yeah. and he gave up a hit and then go on, go on, Matt. That's an open wound. So yes, if, you I know. Going, if you want to keep going with that, keep going, keep going. So I sent up, took a picture of it, sent it up, went up there to send him uh, the ribs. I'm like, okay, guys, I, I'm out. I got, it's, you know, I don't know, 12 o'clock, 1230. <laughs> I got to go. Let's get this done. So sent up the rally ribs. The Royals won the series. I celebrated it at home, came back probably two hours later. 
and kept the pits going that day. And the best part about that was uh, Daniel Vaughn showed up the next day for a, you know, a little piece of review and asked me, he's like, I didn't think you'd be here today. I was like, where else am I supposed to be? They just won the world series. We're gonna, <laughs> I can't miss this. So right. we're keep going. So rally ribs, uh, game five and Hosmer and all the love. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> I won't even mention. I don't know. I will say. I know. I know all about Lucas Duda with the bad throw <laughs> and Hosmer. I get that. I remember that. You guys are being kind. You guys are being kind to me. You know what? Uh, Len and I met. I don't know if you know Sean Ludwig. He's, he's from uh, Kansas City also. He, okay. he writes for the Spoke Sheet and New York City Barbecue. And oh, we met him. He's from, he's from Kansas City. And we went and met him at a barbecue restaurant. And he was telling us about 2015 because that's where he's from Kansas City. So uh, yeah, they used to it. <laughs> well, I will I will say just as a just as a, a restaurant owner and, and you know sports. Whenever you can gather a crew together to watch at restaurants, it means it's a big you know a big revenue booster. You know, have watch parties and that was a big deal for us as a restaurant open for a month and all of a sudden you have people hanging out watching uh-huh. baseball. You know, so oh, yeah, it's a big deal. And and you know what, Jeff? I mean, obviously we wanted the Mets to win, but it was Kansas City was back for the second year. Yeah. And as a Mets fan, you were hoping, okay, they got their taste. They got they were not expected to get there at all. Right. And then, you know, next year would be our turn. And that isn't how it worked out. So, you know, no, not not at all. Not at all. I appreciate so now, you guys. I appreciate you guys being open up, opening yeah. up. <laughs> we're, we're, we're baseball fans, you know. Okay. I mean, that's that's yeah. the thing. So let's talk a little baseball too, because I, I wasn't expecting it, it's so funny. I, I didn't a lot of times we'll have interviews with 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 barbecue people. And as a matter of fact, the, the last one we just had, Jeff, I can't remember who it was, but we we stopped recording. Josh and, Tolley. Uh, Josh Tolley. Okay. Oh yeah, it was Josh Tolley. So it was the opposite, right? Josh Tolley, right? For, you know, f- former major league player. We finished recording, and he says, "Oh, and you guys didn't ask me anything about barbecue." He says, <laughs> "I, I, you know, I was gonna, uh, I was gonna talk about brisket and my Traeger." And it's like, "Yeah, oh, are you kidding me?" So, <laughs> but this time we know you're you, that you're a baseball fan. Give us your opinion on this whole lockout, and and you know who's being the who's being childish in this whole thing. Oh man, I just I think it's you see. Let me let me say this. I think I was thinking about this a little bit today about what I would miss the most, and you know, watching that lock, watching the 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 COVID season, not this past one, but the one before, where they had no fans, right? Mm-hmm. And you had it just seemed a little shallow, or it seemed it seemed empty. We were lacking something, right? Obviously, the play on the field is great, but just the whole thing. And I just feel like I'm not going to point fingers, but just you're so short, short sighted in, in the opportunity to build memories for the next generation of fans. And we've all, we've been through a lockout or two in our lifetime. And those have gone before us have gone through three or four, but, and each one is always kind of an emotional setback and just a bummer. So I don't know how, I don't know how to explain that to my to my um, ten-year-old son, who's just hoping to go to a Rangers game this year and, and see a, and see a live baseball. Right. But there's a so this is where everybody's being short-sighted. That's a good word for short-sighted because they definitely, uh, you know, this is not the not the time to uh, not have baseball. Yeah, especially come off the COVID season. And, and yeah. let me ask you about uh, COVID. Uh, have that affected your business 
last year when uh, when the heart of the pandemic? Yeah, I think I think for me and at this point, I, I I do think that well, yes, I mean absolutely in in, in so many ways, and thankful for the uh, response acts and the people that are that are willing to to jump in. I think you know for me and at this point, I I'm more in the on the catering side, primarily doing catering as is, but. I, and I have partners. I have staffing partners. I have people that that you know, event event venues, and that's that's where it's it's really really hard. Who just they're counting on events being booked um, every weekend or those kind of things. And when they when they fall apart, I mean, it's one thing if I don't if I don't have to put the costs in to cook, I miss out on that opportunity. Yes, but mm-hmm. when I when I'm I have nothing when I have nothing to cook or I have nobody to host, that's a whole other thing. So. Well, how's business? How's business today? It's, it sounds like it looks like it's doing great. I mean, again, yeah. I'm looking at your website, and you have three different uh, dining experiences. You have the roof, <laughs> the dining room, and the bar. And well, uh, I mean, it just looks very elegant. I tell you from the picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks. And and uh, for me, for mostly catering right now. So, so I kind of take I take stuff as we as we want. So okay. Thank you. Yeah. Now I I've got to go back to the website. You talk about ribs and removing the membrane which mm. is yes is, a, is basic uh i mean at least i i think so i always oh remove the membrane i've heard some restaurants because it it does take some time to do numerous ribs they don't oh, but time. okay <laughs> and, and then you talk about how to remove it and 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 the funny thing you said is you use a kitchen towel if single to to <laughs> grab it Mm-hmm. And a paper towel if married. <laughs> so, so is that like drinking directly from the milk carton when totally. you were single, and then pouring in the glass when you married? Totally. totally. I I think my wife doesn't get she doesn't get kitchen towels as much anymore, but mostly because I made a huge mess of them going on early on. But it's a simple, really simple process, and kitchen towel, paper towel actually works really great in the whole thing. And I don't know, I can. I, there's nothing. I'm a pretty patient person, but my, my, you know, anger and intensity can raise pretty quick when I've got a rib with a, with the silver skin on the back. So it really frustrates me. Well, you, you know, it's fun about, I, it's fun taking off the membrane. It's like, yeah. it's like when you, when you're a kid and you get a bad sunburn and then, you know, it starts to heal <laughs> and then you, you take off like a sheet of the sunburn when when you right when you're removing the membrane Absolutely. and the challenge is trying to get it all in one sheet, you know, yeah, and and how cool does it look when it all comes clean? Yeah. And, you yeah. <laughs> and uh, that that I will never remove um, some silver skin from some ribs without thinking of that now. So thank you for putting that here. <laughs> I'm glad I put that in your head. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, Matt, we really appreciate your time. Let me ask you this before we wrap up. Yeah. Any, any social media you want to plug? Instagram, Twitter, yeah. websites, please. The floor is yours. No, no problem. <laughs> Let me remember what all my what all my handles are. But the Twitter is at the Live Coles and at the Live Coles, T-H-E, Live Coles. And then uh, Instagram is live underscore Coles. So, um, man, I, I'm so thankful to, to find... Your pot, I don't know how the algorithm didn't bring me to you before, but um, I've gotten to listen to your art, your interviews with Artie Davis, Joe Posnanski, and I feel like I'm just starting off. So I can't <laughs> can't wait to I can't wait to dig in. So thank you guys. Yes, oh, thank well, you. We, and I I see a yeah. picture of you and Artie Davis on uh, Twitter. Yeah, here. 
Heck so, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you met the king there, huh? Oh my gosh. It was Wildly. so much fun. And, and he came through a couple of times and every time I was like, man, I, I just sit at your feet. So it's awesome. <laughs> well, we are very thankful to you. And, you know, it's the same thing there with, you know, Jeff had the connection and we're just glad we found you. And we, we had one guest on and I asked this question. So now I'm a little hesitant to ask. I, I asked <laughs> if you'd come back on. Now this other guest deadpanned, you know, they were joking, but they said deadpan. No. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not going to ask. We're just going to call you. Yeah. We'll just call, call you. Me, call me, text me. You, I, I, uh, I put my number out there. I'm a barbecue. I like the barbecue support line. So I'm here for you anytime. Yeah. We'd love to have you back. We yep. appreciate it. And, you know, it, it, we, we're glad you found us because baseball and barbecue, this is, it's perfect for you. I mean, you, you're our, not only are you our target guest, you're our target audience. Well, I, I appreciate it, man. I, I hope I, I will. Uh, I, I love, I can't wait to dig into some more shows. It's awesome. Terrific. Great. Thank you very much. Matt, thank you. Thank you. All right. Appreciate you guys. You guys are awesome. Wow. I say wow a lot after, after our guests, but you got to come up with another word. Yeah. How about wow? I guess same word <laughs> differently, <laughs> but it just, Matt Dahlman, really, really just terrific. Uh, thank you. I can't wait to try. This would mean we have to go to Texas, but can't wait to try his food because I've a lot of th- you see the pictures, you read all the reviews. They have nothing but good things to say. And so he, thank he you, Matt. Like such a good guy. Such a great guy he is. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you again for your uh, co-worker. Yes. Uh, what's her name? Julia. Julia. For telling you about him and now all she has to do is get you know a million people to listen that's all <laughs> to it and then she'll her job will be done exactly with, she will no longer owe you a debt <laughs> you know len i just a couple more shout out shout out shout out not shout out shout out i yes. want to shout out to our friend gary mack who's celebrating a birthday and yes, i want to shout out to my son who turned 21 uh, he had a birthday this week and uh, someone else had, had a birthday this week. I want to say happy birthday to John McEnroe had a birthday this week. It wasn't John McEnroe. <laughs> uh, it was someone. It was one of the hosts of this podcast and not me. Must have been your birthday. So happy birthday to you, Len. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm, I'm appreciative of that. Thank you very much. Yes, I appreciate it. And Jeff, let's just give a shout out to our friends at BaseballBBQ.com for incredible grilling tools and accessories. I think anyone who goes to that site and they look and they love baseball and barbecue, they're going to want to buy everything on there. The Pandemic Baseball Book Club, we've had the authors on. And you know what, Jeff? I would also like people to visit BBQ Abuda. That's BBQBUDDHA.com. Special shout out to our friend Ray Sheehan. We know that he listens to the show and his sauces are fantastic. His rubs are great. So why not go there? You will be glad you did. So, Jeff, how are we going to end this one? Baseball always brings you home by the poet, Shel Krakowski, the musician, Dave Dresser. This is the end of a no hitter with episode 121. See ya. Jackie.